Welcome to the H-Town Hoops Podcast. We are your hosts, Brandon Scott and Adam Spillane from Sports Radio 610. And Adam, we have a win here to react. Now, let's just be honest about it. And this is episode two. Adam and I did episode one a little bit before. It looks like Odyssey was ready for us. But shout out to Odyssey for giving us this opportunity to talk about the Rockets several times a week. Uh, But let's be honest about it, Adam. We are not going to, when you and I come on these shows and talk about the Rockets, normally we will not be reacting to a win. That's something that we've kind of gone over already throughout the podcast. But this one is different. The Rockets went to Dallas and won 101 to 92 is the final score. Uh, No Luka Doncic for the Mavericks, um, but the Rockets will take any kind of win that they can get, any kind of boost of morale that they can get. Um, they will take it. And so uh, so here we are, a, a, a win for the Rockets, uh, 17 points for Kevin Porter Jr., 17 points for Jalen Green, um, a horrible shooting night for the Mavericks, not necessarily a great defensive night for the Rockets, but they did have some great moments with the blocks, um, and we can kind of pick that apart. Uh, but let's start here, Adam. What if anything – did you, and this will be a question, just by the way, this will be a question that we'll try to ask and answer throughout the season. Uh, maybe maybe a catch-all question for all of the games. But what, if anything, did you learn about the Rockets in this win against the Mavericks? Well, maybe some maturity. Maybe they are a little bit more mature than what we saw last year. And uh, Will Dunn brought this up in, in the halftime interview with Vanessa Richardson. And, and that is, you know, obviously the Mavs did not have Luka Doncic today, but this is still a game that the Rockets probably lose last year. And Luka missed a couple of games against the Rockets last year. The Rockets lost both of those. There was a game against Denver where Jokic didn't play. The Rockets really didn't compete in that game. And there was a game against Miami on New Year's Eve where the Heat sat most of their guys and the Rockets lost that game. So the ability to win a game, even you know when you're you're the the team you're playing against is better than you, but to be able to beat them when they don't have their best player, I think is it, it might be a small step, but it is a step in the right direction. And frankly, like you said, they needed to get a win because the last two games, frankly, were were bad and they were really unacceptable performances. Where uh, the the game in New Orleans was, yeah, I, they had a, a good eight to ten minute stretch, you know, end of the third quarter, start of the fourth quarter, but they really weren't competitive in that game aside from that stretch. And then Monday, as Stephen Silas said yesterday at practice, it was just a clunker. I mean, that, that was just, that was just a bad overall performance. So to come into Dallas tonight, play well, play hard, play with some fight, play with some energy, I think is really important. What did you feel like was different in this game, Adam? Because to me, like I break this down, this game down as an okay to decent first quarter. You know, I don't think they trailed it all in the first quarter. If they did, it was briefly, but I don't think they trailed it all in the first quarter. Then in the second quarter, this odd things ha- odd thing happens where you know the Mavericks go on this run, the defense looks looks bad, and they end the quarter really strong. Like I'm going to say, they gave up 11 straight. Yeah, yeah it was a 10 you know, run in the quarter. Yeah, 10 0 run to end the quarter, and then the second half was just like almost like a dogfight, and you saw the kind of saw the defense pick up a little bit for the Rockets. Something that is worth noting about this game specifically is that the Rockets had as many blocks as they've had in the game since, what was it, 2013 maybe? It says here we did 19 blocks for the Rockets as a team. Um, 
five for Alperin Shingun, three for Usman Garuba, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, but what what do you think? Is that the thing that changed? Maybe just a, a little bit more of an effort on defense or like what do you think changed from those two catastrophic type of games that they had the last two versus this one, which was a dub? I, I just thought they were more connected on that end of the floor where you didn't have the breakdowns. I mean, they're, you're going to have breakdowns in a game. That's just going to happen, especially with the young group. But I thought they kept the breakdowns at a minimum. Um, you did not see shooters get loose quite the same way. I mean, I, I don't know how many wide open threes the Mavs took, but it didn't feel like it was a lot. And they contested everything at the rim. And I give them credit for that, where the rotations were pretty good and they didn't give up on plays and, and you know, they did not for the Mavs are a hard team to turn over. They take care of the ball pretty well and they took care of the ball well in this game. But those 19 blocks were important because it allowed the Rockets to get out in transition. And the Mavs, uh, defensively, especially in the half court, especially when they don't have Luka, um, it was important for them to get out in transition because the Mavs half court defense is very, very good. And you saw that, you know, they would get really get bogged down uh, with their half court offense. So uh, the blocks were important because it allowed them to get out in transition. They got easy buckets that way. And that's really what won them the game. It, you know, they, those don't count as turnovers for Dallas, but in essence, they do turn into turnovers and, and they are oftentimes live ball turnovers. And that's what gets the Rockets going offensively. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about the offense in just a second. But I want to, since I mentioned Garuba, and this was Usman Garuba's, I'd say we'd probably say his best game as a pro, had a career high in points, I believe. Uh, 12 points, was it? Um, look, uh, plus 16 and it's plus minus. Um, tied with KPJ, with Kevin Porter Jr. for the highest plus minus on the team tonight. Like he, he like I said, he had his best game as a pro. Are we talking? Do we talk enough about Usman Garuba? I guess he hasn't really done enough to have to warrant much discussion. But where do you think Usman fits into this whole Rockets development equation? I don't know. That's a, it, it's a really good question, and it's a hard question to answer because he was pretty much a non-factor last year, and then he really going into this season, we didn't expect him to be much of a factor because it seemed like all the center minutes were going to go to Bruno Fernando, who just signed an extension right before the season, and Alperin Shingun. And so the fact that Fernando got hurt the second game of the year, that opened up an opportunity. And give Garuba credit, he's taken advantage of the opportunity. But at some point, Fernando is going to be healthy. And I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, the Rockets have been incredibly vague on that. <laughs> Silas last week said, uh, he would be back sooner than later. Um, he did take part in practice yesterday, but uh, did not do any five-on-five. Five, so it feels like he's at least a week away from coming back. But where does Garuba fit in once he does return? Because you're really only playing Garuba in one spot. You're only playing him at the five. So does that mean, you know, where does – my assumption is Fernando goes back into the starting lineup when he gets back. That means you have uh, Shindu coming off the bench – so where are the, where are the leftover minutes for Garuba? And I don't know the answer to that question. And um, you know, Fernando is young. Fernando is what 23, 24 years old, and he just right. signed an extension. So you figure he's part of their future plans. Same thing with Shingun, who just turned twenty, and then you have Garuba. So there's a log jam in that spot. It, it's a good problem to have, but I don't know where he fits. And I'm very interested to see. I'm interested to see what happens when Fernando comes back. Both who starts at that position and then who were the rest of the minutes, who do, who gets those minutes and how do they divide them out? Yeah. The Bruno Fernando 
development sort of shocks me a little bit um, just because of, and, and like you mentioned, he is young, but the the investment the investments I should say in Garuba and Shingun made me feel like they were going to be obvious priorities, and then the sort of juxtaposition between Garuba and and Shingun and the type of players they are. I know both of them had sort of this bizarro performance today of Garuba's knocking down threes, even though he's known as more of a defensive player. And Shingun's getting blocks, even though he's known more as an offensive player and has some some weaknesses and some struggles uh, defensively. Um, I guess that you know didn't hold true tonight since he got five blocks and uh, and and really hung in there tough. I think uh, just as a you know as a defensive player um, or on the defensive end, I should say. But uh, but yeah, the the, the Garuba thing is just like you said, it's just kind of a an interesting thing because like if he can add something to you offensively, that was my thought. It was like, he offers you virtually almost nothing offensively. So you only bring him in for uh, seemingly defensive substitutions or like a, you know, a, a defensive heavy type of type of rotation. But it seems like he's expanded his game a little bit and I'm kind of, I'm kind of intrigued to see it. I mean, they brought him in the last two minutes. Yeah. It, over Shingun, Right. Right. I thought that was an interesting development. Offensively, I mean, we, we know he's good defensively. That's why they drafted him. And I remember when they did draft him, uh, where Felt Stone said that he's the best defensive player in the world who wasn't in the NBA. And, and that was when he was 19 playing internationally. That's how much, that's how highly they thought of him at that end. They sent him down to the G League last year, not necessarily to, um, you know, develop any one aspect of his game. It was more to just figure out how to play offensively and how to fit within an offense. But you're seeing that he can do some stuff on the offensive end of the floor. You're seeing the shooting, and I think it's important that he's showing a willingness to take that shot. He's not going to shoot whatever it is, 80% or whatever he's at from three right now. That's that's obviously not going to happen. But the fact that when he's open, he's willing to take that shot is important, and it's something that I, I would think that Alper and Shengun should, lear- should learn from because Shengun passes on those shots quite often when he's got them. So the fact that he's willing to do that, he moves the ball well, he sees the floor pretty well, he's a good screener. So that sort of stuff does make him somewhat of an impactful player on the offensive end of the floor. So he can he can do some things for you. He's not just, you know, a guy that you just have to ignore when he's out there. You're not playing 4 on 5 with him. He's got to get better with his hands. He doesn't catch the ball real well. Um that that really showed out earlier in the year where they would maybe use him in some pick and roll situations. You can't really do that with him right now, but as he gets better and, and, and gets a few more reps, I think that he'll, that's something that he can add to his game. But the, the one issue with him, he's only six, eight. If he's six foot 10, if he's six foot 11, the conversation is probably a little bit different. And that's where I think he falls behind when it comes to Shengun and Fernando, just because he's, a, he's just much shorter than them. You mentioned, moving the ball well and seeing the floor well and, and all of that. And I know this is a win and Rockets fans are going to want to celebrate a win since they're so few and far in between. But if we were going to nitpick some things about this game, and I saw you tweeting about this during the game was their half court offense. And we were kind of hitting on this earlier about the blocks and how that kind of set them up in transition and allowed them to get some, Uh, get them up and down the floor a little bit but also there were moments in the game where 
when they would move the ball, you would see how much differently their offense looked like, or just how, how much better they were. And that was part of, I think what hurt them in the last couple of games when they were so bad against the Pelicans and then against the Clippers ball gets really stagnant. And we saw that a little bit in this game. It was a couple of things. Their half court offense and their transition defense were both, I thought, and this is what I saw you tweeting about or during the game is what I was getting at. Um, We're both, I would say borderline atrocious or at least not good. Why is it so hard? Is it just because they're young? Is that is that a good enough excuse for why it's so hard for this team to move the ball around consistently? Since it's, I mean, even in a small sample size, sample size, we can see that they're so much obviously better on offense when they just move the damn ball. I think for most teams, especially young teams, it's hard in the half court to get stuff going just because you're not used to it. You're 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 playing with each other, really. You know, a lot of these guys are playing with each other for the first time, so you're learning each other. You're learning tendencies. You're learning what this guy does well, what that guy does well. Uh, I, I think that tonight it's it's tough to judge them on tonight's game with the half court offense, just because Dallas is so good defensively and so well connected, and especially when they don't have Luca. I mean, Luca obviously is great and one of the five best players in the entire league, but he's a bad defender. So when they don't have him, they immediately get better at that end of the floor. So I do think that this game is a little tough to judge. The one thing that stands out, the guards have to be better. And both Porter, Green, and you can go down to Knicks as well. They've got to be better. They've got to value the ball a lot more. And there's just too many just dumb passes, unnecessary passes. And the one thing I think Silas, I think it was Silas who talked about this, was that too often they want to make the great play where the good play will work out just fine. And so that's one of the things that they need to get away from. Just make the easy pass sometimes because it might not be a great pass, but the easy pass might set up something that will get you, you know, the easy shot. Um, so that, that I just think that's, it's hard with youth. You know, you're just not, it's just really difficult sometimes. And sometimes you have guys who try to do too much where um, Porter will come down and he might try to get to the rim and he'll force a drive. And then there's a turnover going the other way. So I think sometimes you have guys who are trying to do a little too much. I think you have guys who are getting used to playing with one another. It's And it's part of the youth. Yeah. So speaking of the youth, and I found this interesting kind of based off of our last discussion in the episode that we kind of jumped the gun a little bit because we wanted to get going. But in that episode, and I implore you all who are listening now to make sure that if you haven't already to go listen to that one, uh, you know, download, subscribe, rate and review, do all of that. But uh, the, 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 the rotations, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought trying to send a message to our producer, uh, Austin Mendez, who's doing a, a, a great job. But we talked about rotations last time mm-hmm. and Josh Christopher's role kind of changing or them at least them telling us a lot about what they think of Josh Christopher based off of these rotations. At least that's how I'm reading it and how I feel like we're reading it. But today was, you know, Josh, Josh Christopher was the first uh, guard off the bench, at least in terms of between him and uh, Dacia Nix. Then you see Dacia Nix later on in the game. Is there anything, the fact that Dacia Nix ended up being the one that they went with later on, is that, does that tell us anything? Like what what was the whole point of Josh Christopher's five minutes or whatever it was he played? Well, I think Nick's did come in first. Nick's was the first. Yeah. My mistake. 
And so he comes in for Wood, and then he kind of takes over point guard. Uh, or he came in for Porter, and then right. uh, he takes over point guard when Porter goes to the bench. They're giving Christopher a shot. I mean, this was something that Silas talked about on Friday uh, after practice, was that it was only a matter of time before uh, Josh Christopher wound up back in the rotation. And it's not, you know, it's kind of on the outskirts of the rotation. But he is getting minutes. He is getting somewhat of an opportunity. And, you know, if he shows you something during that little stretch in the first half, then he'll get another shot in the second half. The problem is when he's played in the first half, it hasn't gone well. He was not good in the short amount of time that he played against the Clippers on Monday. I think, you know, started the second quarter, he had back-to-back turnovers. So this is going to be one of those things where he's got to earn his minutes. And this goes for all these guys. They have so many guys who you're trying to give minutes to. I mean, as Silas said, you know, they've got 13 guys. They think that earn minutes. They think they think they have 13 guys who deserve minutes. And you can't play 13 guys. You can really only play 9, 10. They tried 11 at the start of the year. That really didn't work out. Um, so they're playing 10 guys. And if you get an opportunity, you have to take advantage of the opportunity. Right now, Christopher is getting his opportunity. And, you know, so far it hasn't been great. But I imagine they'll continue to give him chances. And as the season goes along, he will get more chances. And it's just a matter of can he take advantage of them because that's how you get yourself in the rotation. And there's not really a rush with somebody like him because he's 20 years old. He'll turn 21 in, I think it might be next month is when he turns 21. But he's got the rest of this season. He's They picked up the, the third-year option on his contract, and I would assume they would pick up the fourth-year option too. There's no reason not to. But, uh, you know, he, he's he's got to earn those minutes, essentially. Does it seem like to you they're trying to figure out? Now, obviously, Dacia Nix is getting, like you mentioned, is getting the backup point guard minutes. But does it seem like does it seem like they're trying to figure out exactly what they have at backup point guard or, or, or what direction they want to go in? I know we haven't talked about Tata Washington, uh, one of their first round picks from this from this year. But he's in Rio Grande Valley. Uh, had come up, I think, for one one game. I think it was was it the Clippers game where they brought him back and then sent him back to Rio Grande. But like, what do you make of what they're? What can? How would you explain what they're trying to do at point guard exactly? The, at least backup point guard. We know KPJ is the main guy. Well, I mean, you look. Knicks has been in the organization longer, uh, so he's going to essentially get the first shot. And I think he's actually been okay. I don't think he's been great by any stretch, but he's, you know, he's a guy that he, he can at least get you into your offense a little bit. He obviously had that really bad stretch at the end of the third quarter tonight uh, where they had the back-to-back shot clock violations, but yeah, that was awful. they had 20, they had 23 turnovers as a team, uh, 20 individual turnovers. He didn't have one. So the fact that he can take care of the basketball and get you into your offense, I do think that matters. And I think that's why he's getting the first shot, you know, when it comes to these minutes. And also Washington was hurt. So Washington was hurt during training camp, and I think they're still trying to to work him back into shape a little bit. But I I do think that they have a little bit more belief and trust that right now uh, Knicks can run their offense when Porter is on the bench. And, you know, so far it's been okay. It hasn't been great by any stretch. But, again, he's young just like the rest of them. He's 20 years old. Um, but he can do some things. He can get into the lane. Uh, I think he makes better decisions once he gets into the paint compared to somebody like Christopher who's still learning. He's a better shooter than Christopher is, and he can hold his own defensively just because he's he's big. Like he he's he's a he's a big you know he's he's a tank. He's a tank. Thank you. You you put it better than I would have. But yeah, he's a tank. Yeah, um, I, I feel kind of feel a little bad because I I gave up on Dacian. Dacian had a couple of bad games last year. Where so 
to rewind before that, I was excited and intrigued by Dacia Nix. And then <laughs> he had a couple of this is before um, this is, you know, before he'd really gotten a shot. And then when he finally did, I was like, ah, I think I'm OK on that. And now I'm kind of coming back around on it like, oh, yeah, I actually think there is something there or at least what I thought was there last year. But because I did the whole waffling or moving on from him, I would kind of moved on to one to see more Ty Ty Washington. So it's like I'm I am uh, moving on from the, their backup uh, point guards much quicker than they are. Thank, thankfully, they're not as uh, hasty with it as I am, but. That's kind of where I am of wanting to see. Glad to see what I'm seeing from Dacia Knicks, but also, you know, like you mentioned, there's no rush with any of them, but intrigued on what Ty Ty Washington is ultimately going to be. And like you mentioned, he was hurt, but or had been hurt. But I don't know, man, the younger the younger the team gets, the more I like to focus on the younger guys, which is ridiculous when you think about how young Dacia Knicks is. It's like to me, he's like he's already old dudes because he was here last year. Uh, but moving on to Christian Wood, because this was a block party, like we mentioned, for the for the Rockets. And they blocked Christian Wood. I counted at least maybe three or four. KPJ had a couple of blocks on him. Um, Shingoon had, I feel like, at least a block on him. Uh, there was the block on the on the alley oop late in the game. Uh, this is a little bit tongue in cheek on where they hunting hunting Christian Wood. I'll ask you a more serious question because I'm I'm basically joking because they kind of had their way with him at times uh, with the block shots. But what do you what do you miss? Since we did see Christian in this game, what do you make of him in the Mavs uniform and what they're doing with Christian Wood in Dallas? He's kind of their go to guy off the bench. Um, he can get them buckets, and that's kind of what they need. You know, this again, it, it's hard to judge Dallas based off tonight because they didn't have Luca, and that really changes everything. But you saw their most effective lineups were when the bench came in, and whether in, when it was Hardaway and when it was Wood, you know, Wood can get a shot from basically any part of the floor. I think that's what makes him such an enticing player is that he's a threat from all three levels. He's a threat from the three point line. He's a threat from the mid range and he's a threat from the rim. Uh, he can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He can make plays for others a little bit. Um, he's a very, very good offensive player and it fits. It's a big need for what Dallas had. I, so uh, I do want to see if he is able to, you know, have a little defensive intensity and, you know, not get played off the floor once you get laid into games, because I think that was his big problem here. I thought that first year, that first 21 game stretch where they were 11 and 10, he was really good defensively and he allowed them to do a lot of different things. They could play, they could play, uh, you know, in the pick and roll, they could play drop coverage. Uh, they could switch everything. They could trap if they wanted to, like he gave them a lot of versatility at that end of the floor. And then last year it was a complete train wreck. And a lot of that was effort. A lot of that was just, just that he didn't try and he was just disinterested. Um, yeah. So I'm curious now to see how he plays there on a good team, on a team that's going to be competing for, you know, not just the playoffs, but a high playoff seed. And the, they've got a chance to to win playoff series. And of course, he's in a contract year, too, which is important. Yeah, I feel like there's no reason for him not to be better defensively in a modern NBA. You know, when he first got here, I thought, man, he's he's kind of skinny. I, I end up feeling this way about a, a, a new rocket every year. It was Christian Wood a couple of years ago. It was Jalen Green, who was basically almost a child 
uh, last year. Um, but I keep thinking that every and then now this year is Jabari Smith. It's always somebody that I'm like, man, that dude needs to grow into his body or hit the weight room. But this isn't the 90s NBA and you hit on it like switching and a lot of it is even for big guys is perimeter defense. And I feel like Christian Wood is one of those guys where there's no reason why he shouldn't be better defensively given his skill set and the mod, the way the modern NBA works. It's not like he's got a, you know, it's not like he's going up against a Valanchunas or a, like I get why he would struggle against a guy like Steven Adams or Valanchunas or someone who's kind of a bruiser like that. But for a lot of the things that you're talking about, it seems like Christian Wood should be a plus defender more often than not. So maybe he'll, he will be motivated by a being on a competitive team and be like you mentioned a, a, a contract year. Uh, I want to ask you about, can I I go back really quick to one thing about, uh, so uh, Nick's and Jalen green, uh, they played together 47 minutes over the last five games. I just did five. I just picked five games out of the air. Rock child scoring teams with that duo. So I do think that, you know, as you get your in the early part of the season, you're trying to figure out who works well together, and you're starting to see Silas stagger Porter and Green uh, a little bit more. I mean, they didn't really didn't do it at all to start the season, but you're seeing that stagger uh, come up a little bit more, um, and and you're seeing that duo have some success. And I do think that moving forward, that's the type of stuff that that's that's what you're looking for right now. See which you know duos work well together, and then that's kind of what you go with moving forward. Hey, so before before I ask you about just since you mentioned Jalen Green, I, I figured we should hit on KPJ as the closer um, today. Like, what you what you think about what you think about K- KPJ closing the game out um, and kind of giving them those buckets when they really needed them at the end? That's what he likes. I he he likes the moment, and you you saw this uh, last year where uh, you know when when the moment was big. He wanted the ball. He had the game against Washington where he hit the game winner. He had a game against Utah where he hit the game winner. I mean, he, he's not going to shy away from that, from, from the spotlight. And I, I give him credit for that. It, you know, it might not always be pretty. And I'm not sure if eventually that'll be the guy that they want. But, you know, he's he's big enough to where he can get into the – he can get to the rim. He can take on some contact. Uh, he can make shots. You know, he, he shoots the ball pretty well. And that step back over Wood, that's that's not an easy shot. You know, a corner step back over a guy who's six foot ten is not an easy shot, and he made it look easy. So um, until someone takes that <laughs> – until somebody takes that closer role away from him, that's going to be his job, I think, for a while. So uh, Craig Ackerman mentioned, and we were talking about Jalen Green. Craig Ackerman, play-by-play man on the uh, AT&T Sportsnet, uh, also a Bearcat, eat him up, Sam Houston State. Um, he mentioned that Jalen Green has 25 assists or at least 25 assists in his last four games. And I was looking at this, at least six assists in each of the last four games, that he's unlocking – somewhat of a playmaking side to this game that we haven't necessarily seen before or at least seen consistently. And that's not, it's not really what he's known for. I mean, he was drafted to be a scorer and has a chance to be one of the better scorers in the NBA and, and, and possibly like his generation. But that was a, so it, it kind of leads me to my question when I'm asking you about Jalen Green, I'll just give you my take on it real quick. Was that I feel like even though this wasn't a great shooting game for Jalen Green, that there was still a lot of positive signs of him as like playmaker and a word that you used earlier when we first started was maturity. Um, how would you describe Jalen Green's last five 
last five games? Like if you were to fill in the blank, Jalen Green's last five games have been blank. That's a good question. Um, I think they've been fine. I I, I don't really know. Um, well, because I mean, because because he's got he's got some he's got some pretty good scoring game. Like other than today, like tonight is not the best example. But he was efficient in scoring yeah. all those all the, the previous four games, and then this game, not really the shot falling. Only had the seventeen points. Didn't shoot the ball super well, but was distributing. Was active defensively. Like to me, to me, he seemed like even though this wasn't a, a Jalen Green future scoring champion type of hype night, it was a Jalen Green matures as really your best player, even if it you know, if he's not having one of those big stat games. No, I, I think that's a very good way to put it, where um, there is a maturity to his game. There's a I belong, I'm a guy type factor to his game. And I, I do think the one thing that you're seeing, you're seeing a little bit more chemistry with some of his teammates, uh, most notably Alperin Shingun, where those two kind of have a, a pretty good two-man game working uh, with one another. Um, I, I think that's the best way to put it. I think, I think for me, it's, it doesn't feel like, um, you know, it's uh, like you can pick up on one theme from the last five games, but I guess you do feel like he's getting better and he, he does feel like he's in more command of what they're doing offensively. Like um, it does seem like when he has the ball or when they're, you know, on offense, there's a purpose to what he's doing. And there's not kind of like some aimless dribbling the ball around and, and like kind of what you saw with Knicks towards the end of the third quarter during those possessions where there's just kind of um, you're just kind of dribbling and, and there's not really a whole lot of purpose. You're just sort of waiting for something to happen. It kind of feels like he understands what's going to happen and he's ready to make a play. So, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask Silas about, you know, on Monday or on Tuesday and I just didn't get to it, but it does feel like, um, he has a better command for what he's supposed to be doing. And he's playing with a confidence that I think that maybe he didn't have uh, e even last year. Yeah. So I, I just, I would go back to the words command and maturity. I, I think those are much better words uh, to describe his game as opposed to like how he was playing when he first, like when we first saw him, <laughs> It's like he didn't, his shot selection was off. He didn't know how to pick his spots. Um, it was like, and I've said it before, it's like a superhero didn't know how to use his powers yet. And it's like totally opposite. Now, even when that shot's not falling, um, it feels like it feels like he still has sort of this, like you said, command of the offense. But I do, I do want to point out before we get out of here, Adam, like the what's the old Jeff Van Gundy? quote of not ignoring in victory what you wouldn't in defeat and it might seem a little bit nitpicky Wait, I, I want to stop you again really quick because we're talking about Jalen Green and his assists yeah. you said he has 25 assists the last five games is that correct I, I thought it was four but it could be five yeah like each of those oh. is at least six okay how many of those assists have gone to Alfred Schengen do you think oh okay if the if granted that the number is 25, I'm gonna say half of them. So let, let's go just under that and say 12. 10. Okay. Is, it seems which seems like a very high number. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jalen Green has thrown 46 passes to Alperin Shingun. I don't know if this counts, if this is counting tonight. 
but the, the last I – mean, it probably doesn't count tonight, actually, but the last five games, 46 passes from Jalen Green to Alfred Shingun. Um, 16 have resulted in uh, field goal attempts, and 11 have gone as makes, and he's uh, been credited with an assist on 10 of them. So, uh, you know, when uh, – to me, that's – that number is really impressive because I mean that's you know seventy, that's sixty eight point eight percent that a field goal percentage on passes from Jalen Green to Alfred Shingun that lead to shots. So he's not only is he getting him the ball, but he's getting him the ball in the right places and making it easy for him to get buckets. Yeah, I, I feel like Jalen Green developing as a playmaker and just the continued maturity of Kevin Porter Jr., which is his own conversation. I feel like a combination of those two things would help quell a lot of the chatter and conversation about them not having a traditional point guard. You know, like if you're if you're two like just guards, wing, you know, your actual point guard in Kevin Porter Jr., but who I acknowledge as kind of a more of a combo guy. But if both of those guys are effectively serving as playmakers, you know, like it. It, it helps with the, you know, with this whole idea that they don't have this traditional floor general out there. Uh, but to that point, like I was saying, those back-to-back shot clock violations, I know they won the game and I know it's going to be a, not even, it won't even be a footnote in the season, you know, as many games as they play. But like, that was a, that was a low, <laughs> that felt like a really low moment. And, and and not just because they were shot clock violations, but because they were very deliberate possessions that should have resulted in shots being put up, at the very, even if they were going to be bad shots or not even close shots. It couldn't be a shot clock violation when you've got the ball at the top of the key with 15 seconds or 12, however many seconds were left on the shot clock on that first one. You know, like I just that's just something that they've got. I know that was Dacia Nix that was out there, but that was just something that I feel like. This, I feel like you can't have, you know, okay. or or an indication of how young of a team. I don't know if you, that's another thing. Young is not even a good enough excuse for that. Like that's, that just cannot happen. That's, that's just bad ball. It was just indecisiveness and they're just sitting there for, you know, I, I don't know. It, it felt like they didn't get into anything until the shot clock was what at five, maybe even below that. And you can't start anything at that point. I mean, you you're you're putting yourself on, in an impossible situation to get a shot off. And so, so I, I think sometimes you see these guys and they they want to bleed the clock and they want to get that last shot and they want to make it so that uh, a team the opponent might not have a chance to get another shot or it might not have a chance to get the two for one. But just run something. Just get a good shot because at that point you're not getting anything. You're just wasting time and. You know, at that point, and this will happen uh, in the last two, you know, three minutes of a game where you're sitting on a lead. You might try and bleed the clock a little bit, but you still have to run offense because the other team still has X amount of possessions to make up ground in in this league where teams shoot so many threes. It's not hard to make up ground in a very quick amount in a in a short period of time. So uh, I do think it's going to be important, especially with that second group and especially with Knicks, that they have to figure out, okay. We're in this spot. We'll, we'll bleed the clock down a little bit. You know, we don't want to maybe run something when the shot clock is at 15. But once it gets down to 10, we got to go and we got to do something. And somebody's got to, you know, take charge in that spot. So I do think it's you. I do think it's a little bit of they haven't maybe been in this situation before. And you're also playing against a good defensive team. So maybe 
the first thing that you're thinking about is just not there. But yeah, th- that was a real th- those two. That stretch was just really ugly basketball. Yeah, that that feels us breaking that down feels so negative after a win. But it bothered me that much that I had to bring it up with you. Um, look, I mean, they got 20, more games. <laughs> yeah, was it? three turnovers or whatever. I mean, that's that's bad. Yeah, and, not good. Not good. And, you know, a lot of this was a slog on, on the offensive end of the floor. Um, they did some things well. Um, I thought defensively they were, like I said at the top, I thought they were pretty good defensively today for the most part. But they got to work on that half court offense. And I, I, I'll have to check the numbers at some point, but I can't imagine their half court offense rates very highly right now. And I want to look and see um, fast break points for them tonight. Uh, they only had nine. It felt like they had more just based off the blocks. It did feel like they got in transition a little bit more, but you can't rely on blocks on 19 blocks to really get you into your offense quickly. So they've got to work on their half court offense just to make it look, you know, like a real half court offense. Oh yeah. They don't, they don't even have the size to rely on that. I mean, they've got some freakish athleticism on the team, but they don't even have the size to rely on that type of performance uh, night in and night out with blocks. But look, We've got Friday coming up, Indiana Pacers, uh, Sunday against the Warriors. So we're going to break those down. We'll be back for what would be the third and fourth episodes of the H-Town Hoops podcast. Look, man, if y'all are just getting in on this, if you didn't catch the pilot or if you didn't catch episode one and you're just getting in episode two, we're going to be doing this all season and really for as long as Odyssey lets us do it. So um, make sure that you are subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing, tell your people about it. Um, and if you like to have uh, fun and interesting discussions about the Rockets, this is the place to do that. And also make sure that you're checking out our work on SportsRadio610.com. But for Brandon Scott, Adam Spillane, and Austin Mendez doing the Lord's work behind the scenes producing this bad boy, That's it for this episode of the H-Town Hoops Podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one.